0: Hello welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey Jonathan, how's it going?
0: Going pretty good. We had a little technical issue this week.
1: Yes, we did. Why don't you explain?
0: This is take two. We recorded late Thursday night after the Democratic National Convention and the tape recorder did not save the file. So this may be a bit of an abridged version. But uh, that
1: may make our listeners happy,, yes. because the other one had gotten a little long, yes. because I was chatty, yes, so
0: <laughs> there's no denying that and and you know we know exactly what we want to say this time, so we'll be more succinct and and move it along, I think uh this time, yes. so, but we got a yes. great episode for you this week, got some big news coming out of Ohio, and then we were going to take a look at the Democratic National Convention party platform, just like we did the g o p one last week and look at ten issues that are. Uh, of particular interest to Southern Baptist. Uh, But first, we want to thank our sponsor. This week's podcast, once again, is brought to you by Southeastern Seminary's new GO Certificates. GO Certificates are specifically designed to equip leaders in the church with valuable training for all people at any level of experience. This program provides sound teaching with practical application in an efficient format that can begin at any time and will fit even the busiest schedules. Southeastern wants to prepare all church members to grow in their knowledge of Scripture and to live out the Great Commission wherever they are. Start today and go with Southeastern. For more information, visit SEBTS.edu slash go certificates. That's all one word. That's SEBTS.edu slash go certificates. All right, Amy, on to the news.
1: Yes, big news in Ohio.
0: Yes, Big News in Ohio. We had a tweet come to us uh, yesterday on Thursday uh, that the Ohio Baptist State Convention had approved in their uh, kind of their leadership meeting, and they will bring to the state convention this fall a proposal to go to 50-50, and Peyton Hill from the great state of Ohio sent that in yeah, to Columbus, Yeah,
1: Columbus, area, Columbus area.
0: So the Baptist in Ohio moving from 40.25% uh, uh, onto the CP are gonna move a thing all the way up to 50-50. And it's great to see somebody outside of the South. Uh, we've talked about it with uh, with Iowa, with Colorado, with Nevada, all of those moving to that 50-50 uh, without that Southern funding uh, that we see so often in the SBC. Uh, but great move by the Ohio Baptist.
1: Yeah, this is uh, really exciting, and it's going to be interesting to see. I, we we kind of called it the Tommy Green effect, that when a dramatic change happened, uh, the giving actually responded. Um, you and I are not stats people enough to be able to connect like correlation, causation, in terms of training. Yes. I'm not going to share what my college statistics class grade was, um, but uh I think I think it will be interesting to see if that pattern holds yes. in Ohio and uh, this is exciting news so really really uh, happy to hear that from it is it's Ohio always Baptist.
0: good to see states making those big jumps like that and saying you know what we can do this God will provide and uh, they're going to 5050 yeah. so that's exciting so congratulations again to the Ohio Baptist uh, state Convention
1: yes and uh, we're sharing a link in the show notes that's to a newsletter that was sent out in June yes. about how this will be coming to that group that voted this week. Uh, So it tells a little more details about it, and uh, then you can know that it actually did happen.
0: Yeah, because there's actually not a press release. Yes. Right. So we got a tweet. So we appreciate people sending us in uh, news tips like that. So uh, top story on the board this week came in from a tweet from Ohio. So once again, Peyton Hill, thanks, man. Appreciate you listening and sending in the news. All right, moving on, some sad news this week. Tim LaHaye the co-author of the very popular and, quote, grisly series of left-behind books.
1: Yeah, why don't you say where that quote came from? Yeah, that
0: came from the New York Times. They called them a grisly novel.
1: So funny. But when I think about it, from back when I read several of them, not all of them, uh, there's some pretty intense. Yeah, uh, well,
0: it's apocalyptic literature.
1: Yeah, so there's going to be uh, some violent things in there. So I guess uh, I guess that's, that's where they got that. But yeah, 90 years old, died um, of a stroke, and most people recognize him as connected with left behind. But the truth is he, he did so much more than that. He was a pastor. Uh, he was a, a a strong leader, very particularly in the moral majority movement with uh, Jerry Falwell. He wrote over 60 um, other books and uh, wrote a lot about marriage with his wife. So, I mean, he's made a huge impact on the church and, um, And we we just kind of connect with that one series that I I don't know about you, I read not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah, same here. Um, Yeah, it's just gripping novels that he co-authored with Jerry Jenkins. But uh, we've included the Baptist Press article, their obituary that they did about that. And our, our prayers, of course, go to his family.
0: Yes, and you mentioned his connection with Jerry Falwell. Tim LaHaye was actually the one who encouraged Falwell to establish the Moral Majority Uh, Yeah, to start advocating uh, for uh, those with uh, traditional family values in the public square. So uh, it's uh, sad to see him pass away this week. Our prayers out to the LaHaye family. All right, Amy, something a little lighter in news. Yes. Uh, Southwestern Seminary over in Fort Worth held a Pokemon Go party. And we we saw a lot about this on Twitter in the last couple of weeks. Uh, But they used it as an outreach to the community. And saw six people come to Christ through it.
1: Yeah, this is really neat. So uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't playing Pokemon Go, I'm sure that you have heard about it.
0: Or hosts that are not playing Pokemon Go. Yes,
1: yes. You're not playing it. I'm trying to play it. My son loves it. And I go out hunting for Pokemons with him. But I'm going to just confess right now that I don't get it. I'm trying. Sorry, Aaron Earls and Chris Martin, our friends who are really into it. I don't understand everything. But Drew does. I just know how to go after the little animals when they're around. Uh, Anyway, it shows up on your phone and it's, it's really fun. Um, But you, you have sort of, it's GPS connected and you have these little things like pokey stops and landmarks that are on your campus. So, uh, or on your church campus, on your church property uh, at places of business, just everywhere. And one of the discussions that's been happening in the marketing world is that you can set out what's called a lure. And it means that more, uh, little characters and things to ways to play sort of come to a spot on a map. You, you pay for these. And so a lot of uh, businesses have done this. Restaurants are uh, the place we went for ice cream the other night had done that, had attached, a, uh, put a lure on their fountain wor- virtually. And then there were all these ways to play the game there. So Southwestern did the same thing. Uh, basically, they put out 80 lures in a two-hour period, and so it drew in 200 people. Because you can put out that you're going to do this, but it also shows up on the game. So you're going to have people from the community that maybe don't know about you, but they're playing the game and an alert goes off or something sort of pops up and they know to go. And so they, they've they done a lot in an evangelistic outreach to the community around that campus. This was just a layer in it capitalizing on something that's, that's going on. So about 200 people from the community came in, And uh, the people were actually coming to them. And uh, they seized the moment. They had a tract. They uh, reached out to people, and six people came to Christ. So what an exciting story.
0: Yeah, and and if you're kind of interested in how your church can connect with this Pokemon Go phenomenon, we linked to a couple of articles. Uh, One, an explainer on Is Pokemon Go Satanic or Not Uh, by Chris Martin. It's not, by the way, Uh, but Chris lays that out. And then another one by Aaron Earls. Uh, both of friends of ours who, uh, who are big into this Pokemon thing. And Aaron lays out kind of eight ways churches can capitalize on this and use this. So those links are at SPCThisWeek.com, uh, just like everything that we talk about every week on the podcast. And that'll bring us to the Amy Whitfield uh, section of today's episode. For the third week in a row, Amy has shown <laughs> up in print again uh, about uh, how awesome she is.
1: It's not about how awesome I am. It's about how awesome Robert's rules. Yeah, but Robert's
0: rules is not in bold in this uh, thing. Your name is
1: <laughs> not just me. Uh, the, oh yeah, there's
0: other people too, but yes. you're the you're the most important of the, the group. Oh, here.
1: thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, this is a story that Biblical Recorder did. Seth Brown, there, who's just a fantastic content editor there. Um, and it's about how Robert's Rules really plays into what we do as a convention. And this thing that most people see is kind of boring and uh, not really worth thinking about, um, how it really does make a difference in how we do what we do. Uh, and the, the idea that there are rules and, and parameters, that they're really there so that people can have a voice and so that the will of the people can be expressed um, and understood and uh, so it's, it's a neat article, and he talked to all four of us that served this year, to uh, Craig Colbreth, to Barry McCarty, to Adam Greenway, and uh, it was just really fun. And I, I think he did a great job putting together a story, taking something that I recognize I'm in the minority as to how I geek out about that. Uh, but I think he took that and, and made it interesting for more people. You know, and then one comment that I said in there was just uh, – if we're going to be engaged, that really means being engaged uh, in everything. It means showing up, and to show up, you have to know how it works.
0: And and speaking of order and knowing how things works, uh, we saw this week and last week, it seems, uh, the the failure of that at times in the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention. And uh, they could have used some more Robert's Rules, Amy. But we're not going to talk about what actually went on at the conventions. We're going to talk about the platform. Now, last week in last week's episode, we discussed the Republican National Convention platform and 10 points of note uh, for Southern Baptists. This week, we turn our gaze to the Democratic National Convention platform and uh, examine some of the same issues, uh, but some other issues that showed up in the Democratic National Convention platform that did not show up in the Republican national platform, and uh, the differences could not be more stark.
1: Oh, it's it's pretty incredible. You know, they, uh, we kept saying last week that the Republican platform is the most conservative uh, platform in history. Well, this is most definitely the most progressive platform uh, in our history. And so um, the, the left and the right are becoming very, very clear, and uh, we see something very Different in uh, the values that that are laid out. Uh, But there are some things in here that we can. um, There are a handful of things that we can appreciate. And uh, I want to take note of those. But I also think it's important that the things we are going to struggle with, we have to know those things are there. Uh, because we have to educate ourselves about sort of the world around us.
0: Yeah, and we'll get to the biggie at the end here of the the list of 10. Uh, but we're going to start off. One of the uh, the first things that is mentioned in there was actually something that was addressed at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting this past year, and that had to do with racism. And there's actually a line in here about the Confederate battle flag and removing it from public properties and, and recognizing that it is a symbol of our nation's racist past and has no place in our present or our future. That comes from pages 14 to 16 of the platform. We have all the uh, the text and links to the full platform on SPCThisWeek.com. But the racism thing was addressed right away. Not so much in the Republican platform, though.
1: Yeah, we talked about that last week. That, that we Once we did the points of interest, we said, all right, what are the values that we put forward in St. Louis, and how does this match up? And we didn't see a lot of that discussed in the Republican platform. Either way, just a couple of statements yeah, here and there, sentences, yeah, but nothing major. They, they devote about three pages to it. So uh, they, they started out with Democrats will fight to end institutional and systemic racism in our society. So they take it on. Um, and they discuss a number of things, uh, wage, um, sorry, wealth gap and um, the uh, criminal justice system, some dealing with some things that they see, disparities. and and other, and they they address head on the current situation with uh, the tension that we're seeing in in terms of police. And uh, I want to be clear that what I saw in the platform and what I saw um, in the speeches this week as well uh, did not go heavily uh, to one side uh, or the other. It really focused on Reconciliation and working together. So it was it, it was very honoring of our um, our officers, but they said this this matters and this is a, a concern. It's a problem, and we've got to take on the the priority of racial reconciliation.
0: And another area that they brought up right after this, and another area we addressed at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, is that of immigration.
1: So, and we we sort of addressed it in terms of refugees at the SBC. Uh, But it was obviously we know that was discussed last week as well. Uh, There's not any mention of a wall in this one, but they devoted about three pages to this as well. And they said they begin with the United States was founded as and continues to be a country of immigrants from throughout the world. It is no coincidence that the Statue of Liberty is one of our most profound national symbols, and that is why Democrats believe immigration is not just a problem to be solved. It is a defining aspect of the American character and our shared history. So it's very pro immigration. It does acknowledge uh, the number of illegal immigrants, but as, as is no surprise, there is more of a path to citizenship laid out there. Uh, so it's a very stark contrast from the platform we saw last week.
0: All right, the third point, and this is kind of, I think, where it goes off the rails with um, a lot of the Southern Baptist perspective here. Right. And, and this would be civil rights, and they are advocating for civil rights based on both gender identity and sexual orientation, something that Southern Baptists, uh, I don't think, would line up with.
1: Right, so they talk about, they will, it says Democrats will always fight to end discrimination on the basis of dot, 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 and it lists a number of things race, ethnicity, national origin, language, religion is in there, which is very interesting. Yeah. I
0: As long as it's the religion that they uh, they are okay with.
1: Well, part of me wonders if this is sort of uh, in response to test to the Muslim, the, the discussion of the, the Muslim ban or, or whatever. Uh, the but And then it says gender, age, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. Um, and then what you begin to see um, – is throughout. So that's on page 18, but honestly, it is throughout the entire document, This uh, continuing to raise up this idea of protecting the civil rights of uh, LGBT individuals. And um, again, I, I think Southern Baptists would say we do not advocate for discriminating against uh, humans or people um, and for any kind of hatred uh, in any way, shape, or form. But they discuss things like um, LGBT youth and how they are uh, addressed in schools and how they, you know, the certain protections that they have to live out in, in, a, in this way. And so it's just, we've seen this coming for a long time that the civil rights discussion is, what is, is, is where this conversation has gone, but it's very clear in the platform. So no question.
0: Yes. Another area of uh, rights and civil rights is women's rights. Yes. That area, and they even bring up the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, and they are urging and pushing for a constitutional amendment uh, to grant equal rights to women.
1: Right, they're bringing that back up, the ERA, which has been discussed for decades, um, and it 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 was came close and was defeated, and it was you know considered a big uh, crushing blow to the feminist movement at the time. I was not expecting that at all. I saw women's rights, and I thought that's obvious, you know, that Maybe this Maybe reproductive
0: uh, rights or things like that. And, right, and that's j- pay, just part of it.
1: Yeah. Right, pay gap, things like that, and of course we're going to see that. Uh, it says, you know, that the Democrats will fight to end gender discrimination in the areas of education, employment, health care, or any other sphere. Well, the party that is nominating a woman for the first time in history is certainly going to include something like this in the platform. But when it said we will finally enshrine the rights of women in the Constitution by passing the Equal Rights Amendment, I that just came. I wasn't expecting anybody to bring that back up. So basically, this was just an amendment. You can look up the history on it. We'll throw in a Wikipedia link to kind of give you the background of when this started, and uh, but also if you want to understand the sort of debate at a a higher level. It's not just about, we believe women have rights. We believe, you know, on one side and then the other side saying, we believe women don't have rights. There was a great West Wing episode. um, It was called 17 People. It's one of my favorite, favorite episodes of, of all television. And there's a, A conversation between two characters, Sam Seaborn and Ainsley Hayes, and they are discussing the ERA, and she uh, is opposed to it, and he is in support of it, and they kind of talk. It's about a four-minute clip, so we'll throw that in there too because it's fun, little education on the subject.
0: And it's a West Wing, and you know why not, right? Absolutely. Exactly. There's no such thing as too much West Wing. That's right. All right, right. number five: respecting faith and service. Uh, Another one we're talking about here. They're specifically mentioning faith. Uh the the question though that keeps coming up is what type of faith that I that's the question I can't keep getting over because it's it's really more of espousing to a a liberal ish type of faith not a conservative christianity.
1: Yeah, I I think the question is and and I want to I want to show some appreciation for yes. the fact that this is in this platform because we want to just kind of sometimes see something like that and dismiss it out of hand and say Oh, they don't really mean that. The truth is we've seen so much progressive movement that right now in everything that I'm seeing, I'm just grateful to see an acknowledgement of respect for faith because that could be gone um, at some point. So I do want to say that I appreciate that. They say our lives are made vastly stronger and richer by faith in many forms and the countless acts of justice, mercy, and tolerance it inspires. Um, we believe in lifting up and valuing the good work of people of faith and religious organizations and finding ways to support that work where possible. Um, I think some of the things that we're seeing in society demonstrate that maybe the ways they want to support that work are, are not necessarily the ways that I would, uh, would like to see. So I, I acknowledge that. Um, so it's just kind of a mixed bag. You, you read it and you say, I'm grateful for them to say that, but I, I don't know what they mean when they say it. So...
0: Yeah. Another point that was in this uh, platform that I don't think we even saw in much in the Republican platform was on the environment of specifically dealing with climate change, clean energy. All
1: things. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's in pages 27 through 30. Um, I, I didn't really pull a quote because it's just very detailed.
0: Yeah. I, I found one in there and, and this is actually the, the little point that I, I didn't expect to see. But, I, you know, they stuck it in here during the clean energy transition talking to clean energy we will ensure landowners communities of color and tribal nations are at the table so the inclusion of yeah. tribal nations uh, just didn't expect to see that in there but that, that's a main point how this affects everybody
1: right right so it was a major part they devoted four pages to uh, environmental issues so that's there
0: another major part that should not surprise anyone is a uh, big section on health care uh, basically, you know, keeping the the train going for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we know that Re- Republicans are looking to appeal Obamacare. We heard that a lot last week, uh, not the case coming from the Democrats.
1: Again, no surprise, but they they are looking for securing universal health care uh, for the American people. It says it it certainly addresses reproductive rights. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Uh, and uh, just just really talking about, a large government that that comes in and, and really makes sure of this for the people. Now, I think it's important for us to remember that even when we don't agree with universal health care, we do want to see people yes, healthy. And to have health care, we just may have uh, some some opinions at times about how that is, is done. So it's part of our service for people. We can't just say we're against universal health care uh, and not be ready to go in and help people who are in need. Um,
0: well, and I think that's the case in a lot of these issues. It's not that people are for or against it's really just the methods that are used to attain you know and and that work in these topic areas.
1: yes, that's big piece in there. Also another piece which I separated out, but they do tie it to healthcare is the issue of gun control
0: Now Amy, how do we tie gun control to health care?
1: Well they and I've heard about this they have done a lot of work and expression desiring to name the issue of gun violence as a public health crisis and so they link it to healthcare. They put it underneath it. Then they just talk about 33,000 Americans dying every year. Uh, we need sensible action to address gun violence. Now, they do say in there go, responsible gun ownership is part of the fabric of many communities. Uh, but too many families have suffered from gun violence. They say we can respect the rights of responsible gun owners while keeping our communities safe. And then they talk about the things we've heard about for a while: closing loopholes, uh, stronger background checks, you know, taking assault weapons off the streets, things like that.
0: And mentioning the assault weapons, the terminology they use in there was a little little shock and awe. Uh, if you'll pardon the it was weapons of war.
1: Weapons of war, assault weapons and large capacity, ammunition magazines, uh, but they called it weapons of war. So uh, they they're very clear in all of that. These are things they've been saying for a while. And then they said uh, they want to give the resources to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention uh, so that they can study gun violence as a public health issue. So they cl- they included it with healthcare. care. We I pulled it out just because uh, I wanted to pull it out as a point of interest. Uh, but that's on page thirty nine.
0: All right. Another point, kind of moving on, speaking of war, is uh, military and veterans and, and just the, the treatment of veterans, including VA health care. And the Republicans, I think, had pushed for privatizing the VA. There's a specific section in here uh, pushing back against privatization of the Department of Veteran Affairs and health care for uh, veterans. Uh, there's a big section. You mentioned uh, page 40 and 41 in here about uh, military and veteran care, including, and this kind of ties back into that healthcare area, mental health programs, and uh, basically integrating them back into society and post-traumatic stress uh, disorders that some of our military and veterans uh, experience. And, and then that leads us to the biggie.
1: Uh, this is the tough one. It The issue of abortion, it's all throughout. I find it interesting that just four years ago, we were all sort of expressing our sadness about uh, the the language of safe, legal, and rare being taken out of the Democratic platform, and now I think, wow, we didn't know how good we had it uh, with what they did have. Because if they could do anything else, uh, that would be tough. What they've done is they've taken all the barriers off. It's no holds barred on on this issue. They say we. Sh- uh, they they say they strongly you know support uh, reproductive rights. For women they they talk about it as reproductive health rights and justice but as uh, many of us see there's one uh, group of individuals and that is the unborn uh, that we look and say uh, where is the justice yep. for Where's their
0: rights when they, and they talk about it, even in here we are committed to creating a society where children are safe and can thrive yep. physically emotionally and educationally and spiritually yes if they're born there should be a big asterisk. They don't
1: say if they're born. but that's, There
0: should be a big asterisk.
1: Yeah. So it's just a very difficult um, thing to read and what we see. And you have to kind of look throughout the platform. So we, we found there's a section on it on page 37, but you have to look throughout the platform, uh, run a search and put reproductive or you know abortion, things like that to pop up. It's all throughout. And um, we think that the videos that were released, you know, sort of put them on the defensive. They have come right back and gone on the offensive. Uh, one of the conversations that really shocked me is they're calling for the repeal of the Hyde Amendment. This um, is a thing that's been in place since 1976. It was one of the first major pro-life victories after Roe v. Wade, which said that federal funds would not go directly to providing abortions. So when we talked about cutting the funding to Planned Parenthood, one of the things that they've responded uh, in. Um, among many. But one of the things they've responded with is, is, well, no money is going directly to abortions. It's going to health care. You're going to take money away from breast cancer screening, things like that. Well, not only are they coming back with that, they actually are saying, you know what? Not only should we not cut off federal funding, but we should just open the floodgates and let federal funding go directly to Uh, the choice of abortions through Medicaid. And so they uh, want to lift that. They're talking about repealing the Helms Amendment and the global gag rule uh, that when we are providing services in the developing world, that we would actually provide safe legal abortion uh, to other countries. There's no stone unturned in how far they want this to go. A
0: fascinating development because we're having to record this again, and we actually something happened regarding the Hyde Amendment between last night when we recorded and this morning. Uh, Tim Kaine the vice presidential uh, candidate and running mate of Hillary Clinton came out actually saying that he supports keeping the Hyde Amendment, which goes against the Democratic National Platform. So uh, he says that his position has not changed on the Hyde Amendment. Uh, so, you know, a little bit of a
1: uh, yeah.
0: talking out of both sides of the mouth there coming from the Democrats. The platform says one thing, candidates say another. Actually, we uh, see that quite a bit. That's not something new. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and as we so. say, we saw that quite a bit actually last week. uh because right. we, we kind of wondered about Russia. The, the, the Russia part right. of the uh, the Republican platform. Uh, but, right. yeah, the, the repeal of both the Hyde and the Helms Amendment would just be devastating uh, for pro-life advocates. And, and, Amy, is it fair to say that Democrats have moved from a pro-choice position to really what is a pro-abortion position?
1: It certainly feels that way. And uh, when you look at this, it seems that way, and it feels uh, from— from the times it was mentioned on the platform, uh, Cecile Richards on the platform, the yeah, the president, it. yeah the president of NARAL uh, who came yesterday and then spoke about her choice to have an abortion and people in the crowd cheered, uh, and just the sort of marginalizing of even the people in their party who say I'm personally um, pro-choice. Now that there's been a lot of question about Tim Kaine because he has said that um, before, but. It's been very difficult to find any real bringing in of people who who have sort of personal pro-life positions or just are pro-life at all. They don't have a place. So here's the thing. We're going to look at this platform and there are going to be things that we appreciate. There are going to be things that we don't agree with. Um, I don't think we can throw everything out out of hand. We got to remember there are countries all over the world with way worse situations than than this. Um, So there have got to be things we can appreciate. But on that one issue, I can't say anything except just devastated reading it.
0: All right. Well, those are the 10 issues of note for Southern Baptists. And we did uh, last week, we talked about a few issues that we focused on in St. Louis and were they in the Republican platform? Uh, And a couple of them were the racial tension one was kind of the one that was missing of the most. Uh, But uh, speaking of those few, we're going to go back over those looking at the Democratic positions, Uh, the racial tension. We already talked about that. Uh, The refugee crisis, we already talked about the immigration and where that um, actually stood with the Democrats. Uh, The two that we didn't really hit in the top 10 were Israel, and and there is a section on that. And the difference, the big difference, I think, in the Democratic and Republican platforms here is a two-state solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict in the Democratic Party platform.
1: It has an interesting solution about Jerusalem, which is not completely a new one, but uh, Jerusalem is a matter for final status negotiations, but it should remain the capital of Israel, an undivided city, accessible to people of all faiths, Israelis deserve security, recognition, and a normal life free from terror and incitement. Palestinians should be free to govern themselves in their own viable state in peace and dignity. So two-state solution with Jerusalem being kind of neutral. Um, If you do a lot of studying of the Middle East and and the peace process, there are going to be some people that just aren't going to take that. Jerusalem is just kind of the thing that's out there um, that, that people want. But the, these are kind of multi layer complicated issues. But we said we had a resolution that we spoke about it. That's what they've said about it.
0: Yep. All right. And then the final point, point, another resolution that we talked about, and that was in the Republican uh, National Convention um, platform, was women in the draft. And there is uh, all these mentions about women and women's rights. No mention. Not a Nothing single about the draft. mention about women in the draft in the right. Democratic National Platform.
1: Right. Uh, It makes you wonder, did they not want to touch it or did they just kind of see it as a settled thing? I don't know. But um, it's not there. So there you go. I don't know
0: if that ever really came up in the debates for the Democrat. I know it was a huge talking point on the Republican side, uh, but I I didn't see enough of the Democratic debates to know if that ever really came up in their debates. And it would be a point of, you know, a talking point that they would actually be looking at for the platform. So. Uh, but that's our examination of the Democratic National Convention platform. You can check out the entire document, all fifty or so pages of it, online. We have a link to it, so uh, check that out. You can see the full text and, and the exact positions that Democrats are espousing. We we mentioned the uh, the one kicker, uh, the abortion issue, just is just devastating, as you said. So, any final thoughts on that, Amy? Uh,
1: no, just we have a link to it. You know, I really encourage you on both of these platforms. Read it for yourself and uh, educate yourself even when even when you assume well i'm not going to agree with them so i don't it's important for us to know where we're headed we don't know what's going to happen in this election and we need to be prepared uh for what might come of the results and to to really have an understanding so that we can be the church um in an environment that is moving in a particular direction so i would encourage at least to just look at it skim it see the values that are being put forward
0: All right, before we move on to the next part of our program this week, we want to thank our sponsors again, the Ghost Certificates from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Find out more about those online education opportunities from Southeastern at sebts.edu slash certificates. And that's going to move us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC History. Amy, blow our minds.
1: Well, last week, you know, I tried to take you back to another Republican National Convention and how Southern Baptists were somewhat involved in that. We're going to go to the 1952 Democratic National Convention. It was held in Chicago, Illinois, uh, July 21st to July 26th. Um, And this was an interesting one because it's the last political party convention in our history where there was truly a sort of brokered, contentious convention that they really went in not knowing what was going to happen um, even beyond what we've seen the last couple of weeks with the, you know, the Ted Cruz voters wanting to see their votes counted, the Bernie Sanders uh, kind of negotiations, all those things. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, I, I've included, we've got Wikipedia articles in there because I think those are helpful in something like this to give a, a good overview, uh, but also a Time Magazine article that came out earlier this year uh, with a graphic that shows what happened. It uh, shows what happened at the last real brokered convention. So essentially what you have is, uh, you're going into, uh, the, the convention and no candidate had a lock on the nomination. So it was 1,230 votes. So they needed just over uh 615, 615.5. Don't ask me about the half votes. I'm not sure about that. Um, so they go in and there are uh, a number of candidates, four sort of major ones uh, that are, are going after the nomination. So the four major ones were Senator Estes Kefauver of Tennessee, Adelaide Stevenson of Illinois, Richard Russell of Georgia, and April Harriman of New York. And then there were a number of little like just guy over here and guy well, including over there.
0: Harry Truman, he was actually up there and didn't get a lot of votes, and he was the sitting president.
1: That's because he had said he would not accept. Yeah,
0: but people so, still voted for him anyway.
1: True, they they put it forward, but he had made it really clear. So there were um the there were all these people forward, mainly the top four. So they go into round one. And uh, Kefauver comes out ahead, 340. But you got to get up to past 615. And Stevenson is behind. Stevenson is the candidate of the establishment. The leaders of the party really wanted him. We've seen a lot about that, about candidates that party leaders wanted to see ahead. They go into round two, and Kefauver picks up a couple more votes. Uh, he has 362.5. Stevenson has 324.5. Then Russell with 294. Harriman with 121. Here's the interesting thing that happens. Between round two and round three, they go to dinner. What happens when you have a dinner break? Everybody starts talking and the party leaders start working. They start working all their connections. They start going around and kind of caucusing and convincing and, and persuading. So they come back from dinner. They go into round three. All of a sudden, it's flip-flopped. Um, Kefauver had had 362.5 at the in round three. He only got 275.5. And 617.5 votes went to Adelaide Stevenson, which pushed him over the top. So he actually got the nomination uh, of the Democratic Party. Now, the reason that you may have never heard of Adelaide Stevenson is because he got crushed by Dwight Eisenhower.
0: Unless you watched Happy Days and you saw Adelaide Stevenson. Yes,
1: yes, in the general election. Now, why is this a week in SBC history? Estes Kefauver of Tennessee was a Southern Baptist. Um, he was from Madisonville, uh, Tennessee, which is in in the eastern part of the state, and uh, went to First Baptist Church, Madisonville. I don't know that he was heavily involved in denominational work, uh, but you can you can go to the Southern Baptist Historical Library and Archives, uh, the digital uh, section, and run a search on his name, and it'll pop up every now and then. Every now and then, it will talk about Essusky Faver, a Baptist. Put you know this. Bill forward on the floor and, uh, show sort of his support, uh, for, for different things. And that that coming from who he was as a Baptist. And, uh, I think, I believe I read somewhere that his funeral was held in the first Baptist Madisonville. He died when he had a heart attack on the floor of the Senate while he was uh, debating. And, uh, he died a couple of days later, did not die right there uh, on the Senate floor, but had a heart attack, died a couple of days later. So he was very, um, Major part, he was in office um, as a as a representative for 10 years from 39 to 49, and then he was a senator from 49 to 63. So he was very involved in Democratic Party politics, um, but he did not get the Democratic nomination. Uh, he does go down in history, though, for his place in this uh, really contentious brokered convention. And uh, because of his uh, affiliation with us, it all happened this week in SBC history.
0: Fascinating stuff there, Amy. Uh, Another famous Southern Baptist that many of us probably have never heard of. uh, Until today. Until today. So thank you again for that. All right, moving on to our resources of the week. My resource of the week is the ERLC National Conference Onward, Engaging the Culture Without Losing the Gospel. It's August 25th and 26th here in Nashville. Amy, I think you were supposed to come to this. but Yes. You're not.
1: Uh, we Yeah, we've had a, a, a change of plans. Just a few circumstances aren't going to allow us to make it. And uh, it was going to be a tough thing anyway because our kids start school on that Monday uh, after that. So we were trying to figure out how to make it work anyway. So we will be sad to miss that. I'm sure I'll be trying to catch some of it online, though.
0: But I will be there.
1: Because you just have to like drive over to Aubrey Land.
0: Yeah, at least on Thursday I'll be there um so i have to leave on friday to go to a trustee meeting up in ridgecrest Mm -hmm. so i'll be heading actually into north carolina uh, but i'll be there at least on thursday checking that out covering that for the podcast here Uh, i got my media pass and everything squared away for that so looking forward to that it's going to be a great conference if you're in the area or uh if you're looking to get to nashville anytime in the next month or so it'd be great to come down to nashville for the erlc national conference at the end of the month in august so uh, sign up for that today we got the link over at the website spcthisweek.com. you can find all the links for everything we talk about uh, to baptist press to everything uh, all the the resources and the, the wikipedia information that we've mentioned today so check that out and amy your resource of the week
1: is um, it's a book. It's one of my favorites. So I know that there's been a lot of talk about the history of uh, a woman being a major party nominee. And yes, that is historic. I'm I'm certainly watching that even, even when there are things I'm not totally in line with. But there's another layer to history that is much more interesting to me. Um, I have a great interest in the history of the first ladies of the United States and have had that interest since I was about eight years old. And so have uh, done just a lot of reading and visiting homes and birthplaces, things like that, through the years. And uh, I, had, I sent you a text earlier this week that I had counted the books in my First ladies library. You're such a nerd. And I had uh, 60. I have 60 in there. So some of them are um, books about all First Ladies and some of them with you know, short biographical sketches. Some How many of them First are
0: Ladies have there been?
1: 45. 45? 45. Mm-hmm. Because there were some who uh, had a, a first lady would die while they were in office okay. and then they marry again or uh, in a, a few situations. And, and I guess it kind of depends on how you count. Some of them, their wives died before they took office, but people will count their first wives, even though they never you know, made it okay. to the white house. And I so, yeah. So anyway, uh, I, I would say 45 is the right number and that's in the resource I'm about to share, but people might kind of, fudge on that depending on how they calculate it. Anyway, uh, so one of my favorite books is a book that came out last year. Uh, the uh, the editor is Susan Swain uh, with C-SPAN. So what C-SPAN did a couple of years ago is they had this series that they would do on Mondays. They would bring in presidential and first lady historians uh, on a particular time period or on particular women, on particular presidents to come in and have a discussion for about an hour about a first lady, and they just went down the line. They started with Martha Washington and went all the way to Michelle Obama, and discussed uh, their life, their history, the presidency of their uh, husbands, and then their legacy. And it was kind of your basic C-SPAN show. I mean, it's just this like, like really drab room with a fold-out eight-foot card table and like three people sitting at it and just talking. But they were talking about really interesting stuff. So what happened is when that series was over, because they had covered everybody. They put a book together that really is just the transcripts of those shows. So each sort of chapter is just the next administration and um, and and first lady or first ladies if there was more than one uh, and. It's the transcript of these historians discussing it. So it's very different from a standard biographical sketch. It's not bland. It's not uh, just this kind of concise thing, but it's more of a conversation that honors these women, talks about their contributions, everything from small things to that uh, Helen Taft uh, was the one that uh, the, the cherry trees in Washington were gifted uh, to her. So when we go out and you see the, you know, cherry blossoms in bloom, that goes back to, to Helen Taft, to the, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt's contributions, um, certainly, uh, many first ladies contributed to policy. Uh, we think talk about Hillary Clinton being a first lady that was very involved. She by far was not the first one. Uh, you can go all the way back to Dolly Madison, uh, to see major involvement in their president, uh, in their husband's administration. So anyway, this book is called first ladies, presidential historians on the lives of 45 iconic American women. And so I've got a, a link to that on amazon it's a big book but every section is broken up stands alone so it's a really easy very they're easy reads and you just pick it up and do one and then a day or two later do another one it's a lot of fun
0: all right well that's going to do it for our episode this week uh thanks again for joining us we have uh, covered the democratic convention and the republican convention the last two weeks and i think i speak for everybody when i say i'm glad that is over and uh, we don't have to cover those uh next week but
1: but here come the olympics here
0: come the olympics Maybe, <laughs> asterisk man. Again. Brazil
1: just—they just have to focus. They just have to focus, and no problems, only solutions. They can do this. I need to chant USA from my living Gotta room.
0: Got to focus, Brazil. Focus. Yes. So get the venues finished, please. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, and and the sewage out of the uh, the rowing venue. <laughs> so that's just nasty. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show this week. i got a big August coming up next month. Uh, I know you've got school starting back at the seminaries. All of our seminaries going back to school next month. I guess the official first day of school in the fall at Gateway Seminary out in yes. California uh, will be here in August. And, and then trustee meetings galore starting up. And then September, we've got executive committee. So a lot going on in the next month or so and uh, exciting times here in the SBC. And we will see you next week.
1: See you next week.